Persuasive words. I'm Scott Jones. I'm Bill Bohr. And I'm Josh Redder. Wow. Whoa. We mixed it up. Here we go. Yeah. This is that uh, the episode you all have been waiting to hear, or maybe not, but we've been waiting to do it. <laughs> Bulgashichta. It's the Bulgashichta. Yeah. This is going to be an occasional paper, or it's not a paper, an occasional podcast where periodically we're going to invite a person we like or a friend of a show or someone we think who has important things to say just to be part of a freewheeling discussion, freewheeling discussion. And Scott, we have someone today that fulfills all three of those things. <laughs> Josh Redder. Josh from Ohio. You're living large. Yes. Uh, large and in charge. Tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. Tell Well, we know about you, but like, tell our audience about you. About me. Well, uh, let's see. I live in... Uh... The middle of Ohio. And, by the way, okay, by the way, John, I'm not trying to tell you how to do this, but don't start with Ohio. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> We've had so many astronauts, you know, because they're oh, all trying to get away. Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> I, I come yeah. from Harding's hometown, so you know. It's oh, great. G, the yeah. uh, second worst, the second worst president of the United States. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but they might have had something in common. Uh, I think they had many things in common. And I hope they end in common. But go ahead. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I, I'm a huge podcast fan, and uh, particularly of new persuasive words. And uh, I know Scott through uh, Mockingbird. I'm uh, a contributor to Mockingbird, as he is. Well, as he's built to the magazine. That's right. That's right. Yeah, well, good. Well, and and Josh, we you consistently support our stuff, have great insights, so we're we're thrilled to have you here. I, I'm thrilled to be here. So the first time I ever heard the term "bulgashichta" was <laughs> connected to Roger Nicole, and somebody was saying in a lecture. I think he was a French guy, um, and at Gordon Conwell, and he was saying, you know, you'll you're going to hear "gashichta," uh, "gashichta," so many "gashichta." That you're going to think at the end of this semester, it's all bullgashich. <laughs> <laughs> and of so, course, uh, Roger Nicole uh, was Tim Keller's uh, mentor. Him, him who shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, well the, the first time I heard the term was during a roast of uh, your uh, dissertation advisor, Scott. Uh, Daryl Guter? Yeah, Daryl Guter was the in charge of the Young Life training program. So we mm -hmm. had a winter, we did a January term uh, with Eastern Seminary at the time, and uh, we did a banquet at the end, and we roasted him, and uh, we <laughs> applauded his introducing us to Bulls Gashista. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. So you're a fellow Bulls er with us, Josh. And yes. So Bill, it's quite you have honor. chosen our inaugural uh, well, for who? I mean, I don't know. For us, and maybe it, it might actually be a problem. You might lose Facebook followers or something. <laughs> yeah, and we we did. You did have him sign the waiver form, right? We we need you to have a. Yeah, we're not responsible. We're not for responsible for life. For anything, I don't have one, so I'm safe. Yeah, 
But now I'm just sad. But you, <laughs> there was that where well, there was that woman who kept answering when we kept calling you. There was a woman who kept answering your phone saying you weren't oh. available. Oh, <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, she she does she work for my... Verizon? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, she's got right. name. She got sounds a little deal. mechanical, but she could, you know, maybe she's Germanic. <laughs> Any rate, uh, here's a quote that we um, <laughs> that we saw from our. Uh, in a lot of ways, how do you how do we describe our relationship with with David Fitch? I he's, love Fitch. He's kind of an inverted muse for me. You know, <laughs> that's, I like how that. I, that's how I think of him. Anyway, he put this, I mean, it is a variation on a theme that he puts out there every other week, but this was the latest uh, version of it. He said, for me, the case against Constantinianism, <laughs> I like all those, word, those eyes. Uh, I'd like to buy an eye, a vowel. All right. Church aligned with worldly power is ultimately not an historical one. Constantine worked out badly for Christianity. It's a biblical sociological one based in who Jesus is when it's in the Bible. And as a result, how God has chosen to work sociologically in the world. Now, first of all, I think... uh, Bill, can I stop you for a minute? Can I stop you and interrupt? Yeah, yeah. I I feel like, and this is, you know, I feel like I'm... We've got a third party involved. I feel like this is my negligence. I feel like... We omitted a huge thing. Mm. We omitted the apology of the week. Mm. Oh, okay. All right. Well, this week, um, I'd like to apologize to half of the uh, human species. Uh, I would like to to apologize to all women. Um, uh, As most of you know now, Bill O'Reilly has uh, quit. Uh, and what I find ironic that the spot, probably because the sponsors finally, you know, got too much. He had five lawsuits. The sponsors were leaving him. I guess my question is one sexual harassment charge didn't get the sponsors off his back. Two didn't, three didn't, four didn't, but somehow that magical fifth sexual harassment charge was the one that got sponsors to drop him. Uh, in fact, obviously, uh, racism doesn't bother them. <laughs> because you know that was a frequent theme of his uh of his rants uh a gifted guy uh but a, but uh probably in the hall of fame of hate mongers if there ever was one that would be bill o'reilly mm-hmm. anyway but what i'm uh because uh i've taken it upon myself to apologize for the president of the united states so i would like to every, po- every week every, every week, week. One apologetic, and you know what you're confident as am i that for the duration of the administration i don't think the segment is going to be hurting. Right. <laughs> I, I don't think so. So last week, our president, in the midst of uh, bombing various countries, uh, flirting with starting World War III, um, and also congratulating uh, Turkey for ending democracy, which we gave him uh, apologize last week for that, uh, he supported Bill Riley, saying, quote, I don't think he did anything wrong. <laughs> so on, on behalf of New Persuasive Words, uh, we like to apologize to uh, all of you who probably were fortunate not to be born with a Y chromosome. <laughs> it's very I have good, no Bill. words. Josh, do you have any words? It's excellent. I, I There's a little tear running down my face right now. It's yeah. beautiful. Well, yeah. I actually do have a couple words before we move on. I, Mark Oppenheimer <laughs> wrote a great column two weeks ago about this uh, in the LA Times. And he said, you know, what's interesting is Originally, the sponsors took 
you know, their their ad buys out of O'Reilly's show, but they kept them with Fox. He's like, <laughs> well, right. they kept them with, you know, they moved their ad buys to feminist theorists like Sean Hannity and Greg Gutfeld. <laughs> so, so that yeah. I, I think on that level, you know, it, it, it's just um, and who would who would think that, you know, uh, you know, and I'm a big Howard Stern fan and everybody's not and that's OK. But, you know, Stern a couple years ago played a clip um, of one of the Miss Universe, you know, contestants that like was just babbling incoherently. And then he said, Robin, you and I think that's a moron. And Roger Ailes thinks that's an anchor. <laughs> so who would think that if that's your standard, that it would devolve into sexual harassment? I mean, it's not. I don't know. It's like it, like so many things. It befuddles me. And also, this is not an official New Persuasive Words apology. It's a minority opinion. Uh, it's in no way connected to us. But I still want to make a case for Billy Bush. That guy just let, <laughs> I, like, you know, and again, I'm not saying he's a virtuous person, you know, but I'm just saying he let, he died for Donald since. He was kicked off public life and Donald got to be president. And I went, you know, something for Billy Bush. Just on like a little public Canadian station in Manitoba. <laughs> Or something, oh, you know, like, or, yeah, nice. or even Ohio, Josh, even Ohio. No, that's okay. Canada can have them. Yeah, that's great. They, <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, it, it, it died, you know, Billy Bush died for Donald since. There we go. All right. Uh, you know what? I, I, I was, you may be the only one in America. No, you may be the only one in the world who's taken that stand. And so in this day and age, because you've made an absurd a gallant statement, then you should be celebrated. <laughs> Hashtag one way love. Uh, one, one way, way love. love yes. All right. All right, Paul, right. can you reread All right, and I reintroduce your statement? Well, anyway, it, it's his general rant against um, Constantine. David Fitch's general David rant. David general go. rants against Const Constantine. But the line that I think that we'll just focus on, um, and again, for him, Constantinianism uh, is church aligned with worldly power. Um, he, But the statement, Constantine worked out badly for Christianity. Okay, mm. now that that statement there is a broad one. Um, again, anytime you and you we're talking about the fourth century guy, not the movie with Keanu Reeves. No, I, I, I quite I quite uh, like the movie. I gotta yeah. throw away my notes now. Oh darn it! Yeah, but anyway, my whole point is that first of all, uh, that is a rather that is a remarkably broad statement, um, and. I, it would be interesting to know what David Finch would thought, think about what would have happened if Constantine had not embraced Christianity. What kind of world do you think would have happened? That, to me, is a fascinating thing he says there, with just assuming that Chris Constantine worked out badly for Christianity. Um, the fact that maybe Christianity survived because of Constantine embracing it, I would argue that may not be a bad thing, but that's just me. So I'll just throw that out there. Well, I mean, the question that comes to my mind is, uh, was God on his throne while uh, Constantine uh, was on his? I mean, it it, it seems like there, there may have been a, a plan that was accomplished. I, I, yeah, I... I do love Fitch, but he's he's uh he reminds me a little bit of uh oh I can't think of the the guy's name but uh, uh, soup, a soupy soupy sales soupy sales yes <laughs> uh, Harlan Ellison he reminds me a oh, okay. of just sorry. someone who's kind of a professional ranter um oh okay uh, I, God bless him but 
uh, yeah, I, I did not uh, really understand his point other than it's his ever other weekly uh, uh, rant against uh, Constantine. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the fact, and I, I you know, again, um, by the way, I do think what what day was Bush uh, or not? What what day was Trump sworn in as president? What was it? January what? Twenty first. Twenty 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 first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. N- now that was the day that God ceased to be on His throne. But I I I that's not the topic we're talking about. Well, I I, th- yeah. I think He ceased being on the throne with Billy Bush. With it, you know, she cast out <laughs> the camp, <laughs> and I don't like Billy Bush. Don't me. Like I think he's. I don't like. I. I think he's a cat. I think he's. But you know. I. Uh, well, there's. There's. A, there could be many. He should at least be Secretary of State. There could be. <laughs> at least he would talk. At least we'd hear from him. No, I, I think. Yeah, I think your point's good, John. In other words, there's a sense where, I mean, again, it's a whole other topic. How does God work in behind or through history? But just looking at the historical facts on the ground, um, and and it's also kind of naivete. In, in some levels, it presupposes that the integrity of how people viewed the world and how their faith was integrated into the worldview, but somehow, um, you know, uh, a perspective from France and from Duke um, somehow uh, combined in the you know in the nineteen eighties somehow. Gets it right as opposed to, um, you know, Constantine doing the best he could, uh, and people doing the best they could. Whether you're talking, you know, whether you you mentioned, I think when you, I first sent this to you, you mentioned, you know, Luther, right, uh, working with the German print. I mean, Luther would have been one of these guys like Valdez, who no one knows except those of us who study church history, right? You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Or, or he might have been, you know, he might have been end up being like John Huss, you know, if it hadn't been for the German princes. So, right, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, so, quickly. yeah, quickly, yeah. So, I think the thing about it is who doesn't that, need a German prince once in a while, and especially Billy Bush? Well, or, or the other one I mentioned was, you know, Henry VIII and Elizabeth I. I mean, I, I do think at least Protestant Christianity benefited from, uh, uh, their uh, patronage. Well, right. I mean, but but yeah, but that's to be a person of faith, to be a citizen of the world in the fourth century, or we're talking about, you know, we've talked about the 16th century, meant that your your kingdom, your power, your faith, all were intertwined, and that's how life was ordered then. Um, I'm certainly not advocating that we go back to that, but just to say that somehow— they were less enlightened than we were. And also to deny uh, a lot of really crazy things happened uh, <laughs> you know, between the fourth century and uh, you know, the 20th century uh, and the arising of the Neo-Anabaptist. And mm. uh, to say that Christianity was only harmed by the fact that rulers became Christians is not only historically ignorant— and naive, but I think it actually uh, fails to understand the missional nature of, of of Christianity having to be engaged in its day and its time, whatever that means. Mm, and I just absolutely. note that Bill said missional. I did. I did. <laughs> and positively, I did that on purpose too. <laughs> Trigger warning. Trigger warning. <laughs> so, other than Billy Bush, who you care deeply about, Scott, what is your take on this? Well, I think that here's the tricky thing. I think that there are, and here I'm borrowing from Doug Farrow, who wrote 
a essay years ago in First Things, I think. But like it was, it made an impression on me. There are three kind kinds of secularity. He argues, and I think there's something to this. The first is supersessionists, and it's very funny. Unorthodox had a Catholic podcast uh, guest this week. Um, in other, uh, for our listeners who are uninitiated, Unorthodox is a Jewish podcast. And, you know, Mockingbird has been called, the Mockingcasts have been called the uh, Christian Unorthodox. This is the Catholic Unorthodox. Not that they're different, but, and they're like, it's funny. Stephanie said, Christians do this thing. You uh, you kind of build on something we've done. And then, or maybe they also, and then you, and we've super, are attempting to supersede it. But, um, but Ferris says that there's a kind of early enlightenment supersessionist um, secular project where hey, we're, we're dividing the world into ages and the Renaissance is giving way to an enlightened age where religion will be replaced by reason. And that just doesn't work because we are incurably religious for good or ill. Um, right. And, 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 I, I, and the early enlightenment did not want to throw out God. I mean, but God is kind of the right. God that kind of hovers over everything, you know. Yeah. And so, and so then, like, he argues that what we've evolved to in the late modern Western state is a neutral secular state where, well, you know, we're, we're not against religion at all. And, and privately, privately we can be for it. Um, but uh, he quotes Oliver O'Donovan um, in The Desire of Nations <laughs> saying, the false self-consciousness of the would-be secular society lies in its determination to conceal the religious judgments it has made. Hmm. And then he goes on to say, "That's a great phrase. It is." Yeah, and he says, "Indeed, liberal secularism conceals a deep antipathy toward its competitors. Its pluralism Mm. is a cover for hegemony. Mm. It has taken to the heart. It has taken to heart the negative article of Rousseau's own political creed that intolerance is the one thing which must not be tolerated, (laughs) and learn to deploy this article against those with firm convictions about the good." That differ from its own, and then he proposes a third kind of pluralism, which is eschatological and rooted in the patience of God. That if God has chosen to create uh, the theater for God's glory in a way that allows human subjects to you know, to actually really be free, uh, and yet also as the executor of the state in a way that God, at least if you're a confessing believer in the Judeo-Christian project, has not abdicated the throne, then we ought to have, within reason, a kind of patience that attempts to um, to make government in the, in the spirit of religion, to love God and love the creatures that God has made, but not with the force of religion, which allows innovation. <laughs> Not that religion should allow innovation as well, but I, I think there's something to that. I think that like Christians and Jews ought not to fear, and and all people of the book and and traditionalists ought not to fear plurality, mm. uh, or Constantine, or I mean, I think I'd like it if we had a really reflective Christian magistrate. I'd be into that. There was an interesting quote from uh, Bill's uh, favorite historian, Paul Johnson, in his book, <laughs> a, a History of Christianity. Um, and there's two lines that stood out to me. It says Christians, uh, talking about Constantine, it says Christians might not 
uh, yield divine honors to the emperor, but in other respects were loyal Romans. And then uh, Tertullian pointed out that Christians were numerous enough to overthrow the empire had their intentions been hostile. So, uh, you know, it was interesting, even back then, there was some reflection on the impact uh, Christianity had on the government of the time. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Matter of fact, there was a great variety. I mean, you know, the emperors that followed Constantine, matter of fact, Constantine was baptized by an Arian. Uh, uh, well, that's, but he, um, uh, gosh, she was a Nicodema. I just and lost. by the way, by the way, for the non-historians in the crowd, that's not a neo-Nazi. No, no, he was, he was, uh, he was <laughs> We're talking somebody that doesn't believe in the Nicene in the Creed. full divinity of yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, might have been a good priest. Yeah, I know. He could have been, a, yeah, he was a bright guy, but, uh, and his sons and his grandsons, who ruled after him, um, were leaning to that party. And both Ambrose, Bishop Ambrose as bishop, and ba- and Basil the Great as mm-hmm. bishops, both stood, you know, stood down the emperor, you know, and they weren't sure that, uh, you know, I mean, Ambrose and you know the 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 empress wanted to have horses, you know, as an act of defiance against the the those who were adhering to the Nicene party were going to have horses kept in Ambrose's cathedral and he and a group, mostly women prayed all night and it was over their dead bodies. That was going to happen. And it wasn't Ambrose who backed down. It was the emperor empress and um, Basil was a little more complicated, but did a similar thing where he opposed the emperor. So, um, you know, you have various degrees. Now Eusebius uh, of Caesarea was, was thought this was the, you know, this was the second coming of Jesus when Constantine, you know, did this. So there's varieties of responses to it. I, you know, the story I tell, and this is, you know, from the, and, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly, I don't remember where the source is, but, you know, there's a legendary story that one of the, when at Nicaea, there was a bishop who had come and he, his eye had been put out during the uh, persecutions of uh, Diocletian, which had, you know, was uh, Constantine's predecessor. And, uh, Bill's uh, eye is going to be put out in the persecutions of Trump for Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure, that, at least. Anyway, um, and when Constantine saw him, he went over and he kissed the eye socket and oh. blessed this guy. Now, if you were in that room and you had lost people you loved, you lost parishioners, you have been tortured in the name of the Roman Empire, okay, and suddenly you have an emperor during penance, and offering to restore the money that was taken and rebuild the churches that were destroyed. I mean, who would not think that was a good thing? I mean, no one in their right mind or no one with proper theology would have thought that was a bad thing. So I, I just think, you know, we, I think we forget to honor and appreciate the times where these things now that we think about as isms actually happened. Oh, absolutely, and I think uh, I had read where Constantine had was baptized later in life, but uh, wore his oh. baptismal white baptismal robe, uh, robes uh, until he died. Well, it, it, it was for, that wasn't too hard because he he was baptized on his deathbed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it I didn't mean, that, get too dirty. There's a, there's yeah. a variety of stories, but no, that could very well be the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting if that if that's not true, it should be like in the yeah, sense of like that's like a Tony Campolo story. Tony, <laughs> are those stories true? If they're not, they should be. But you think right. about like you know the post scholastic reformers talks about improving on your baptism, um, 
And here's Constantine, and maybe it's superstition if it's true. Like he's just thinking, I want to get, you know, I'm an emperor. Uh, I have messy hands, and <laughs> I want to get the baptism at the end. Well, a lot of people thought that. I mean, remember, yeah. I mean, really, it wasn't until Augustine, and then a lot of people disagree with him. Uh, what you did with post baptismal sin was an open problem and issue from the second century all up until the, you know, fifth century or so. So there were a lot of people that put Thank that God off. we're not in those centuries. <laughs> <laughs> Podcasters gone wild. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, we have a priest outside the uh, the bunker every time we record. <laughs> exactly. Just throws right. a bucket of holy water on you as you leave, yeah. Well, you know, uh, Josh, I mean, you know, we have uh, we talk about this periodically. I mean, overall, how do you approach this idea of um, what's the relate? You know, uh, the Constantinian legacy, and again, um, you know, various approaches to it. Again, I, I always joke when people say Christendom. You know, like they they find out the Albert Institute found out that Christendom was dead about twenty years ago when it actually happened in about sixteen forty. But you know, you couldn't make money in sixteen forty off of it. And also they'll pay, they'll charge you can give them forty grand for a weekend and they'll tell you what you already know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a little bit no, like what, Scientology. Yeah. Um, so how how do you think about this job? Except not successful. No celebrities. <laughs> it's kind of difficult. I I think here in the Midwest, um, it's difficult because people are so aligned with one political party uh, that there's very little discussion. I, I think how I practically I've I've lived it uh, is um, I was listening to um, Peter Kreef uh, today, and he was making a comment about um, I don't know just how to deal with the uh, uh, persecutions and and Christians who are dealing with with uh, uh, real uh, persecutions but and he said and and not too flippantly uh, he you know he said what's the worst they can do to you kill you well that's as Christians we're not particularly worried about that um, I I'm think- a little worried don't kill me please <laughs> well I'm just saying I'm just saying I, I I'm driving to Michigan tomorrow to uh you know attend my sister-in-law's graduation and stuff like i like i would i'm a little worried i'm a little worried well it's not it's not the dying part it's it's the method getting there that that can be the rough part car um, crash on the pennsylvania turnpike is a nightmare with the cattle thing like and then it just my remains yeah uh, scott I'm, I'm i'm pretty sure that doesn't count as a persecution all right but no, go ahead no that, have it, you ever driven next to truckers on the turnpike i felt persecuted <laughs> they edge you toward the cattle chutes okay i but i i think is just um living in life not uh, in light of the fact that not that that uh the the government doesn't have an impact but they don't have the ultimate impact and and i think that's that's freeing in a way i mean uh, I think everybody, including many of the people who voted for him, are, are concerned about the direction that uh, our, our current president is headed. But uh, ultimately, it doesn't change things. It, it, there are things he can do that, that may inadvertently benefit us or harm us, but uh, he doesn't alter the story. Um, and and there's, there's some sense of relief in that, but it also doesn't... Uh, uh, relieve you of uh, the the obligation of uh, of uh, 
treating the the poor and, and uh, with compassion and and loving your neighbor. Uh, so whoever is in office, uh, none of that changes. Um, it may get more difficult to, uh, under under some uh, leaders, but it's the same thing, just different circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's interesting to me. And and this this is a, it's the names are different and the ideologies are different, but on some levels the sentiments are the same. Yeah, you know, the two groups that came together in the uh, uh you know, during the time of the formation of our constitution that were strong advocates of the separation of church and state were uh those who had a for lack of a better word, a more secular progressive uh I mean Jefferson and Madison had great disdain for clergy um, and uh, had great suspicion of organized religion. Um, and, you know, the, so that's where we get, you know, the bill of rights from the, you know, the Virginia, uh, you know, the Virginia bill of rights becomes a very important part of our constitution. And their close allies were the Baptist, uh, particularly the new England Baptist who were a minority religious minority who didn't want to pay for congregational, ministers in their taxes who did not have full rights in some ways. And I still think it's an unusual alliance that in some levels, the neo-Anabaptists or the Anabaptists, and again, I I, I mean, I hung out with Mennonites. They're, they're different people than the uh, neo-Anabaptists. Um, but Neo-Anabaptist. <laughs> but That was my fitch, everybody. Oh, that was your fitch. <laughs> but at any rate, I mean, I think, you know, what's often wrong in terms of um, what I think is wrong, what I think is problematic about their approach to faith in the public square, uh, those groups tend to sound very similar to me at times. Now, again, uh, I used to, I would say that I taught at a Baptist seminary, and I would say something like this. Bill, uh, where haven't you taught? You're teaching Buddhists, you've taught Baptists, <laughs> you've taught Catholics, Protestants. What do you, wait, who haven't you taught? I don't know. I, have to, I, I haven't done much with Sikhs. Scientology, too. Yeah, no, I don't think I'd last there. But anyway, Tom, Tom Cruise, if you're listening, Bill Bohr will catechize you. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I say, you know, how many of you think separation of church and state is a good thing? And of course, everyone raises their hand. But I ask, what's lost when that happens? And there is a tendency. Now, again, people will argue with me, but from a kind of a structural point of view, it kind of it does minimize the influence of the church in the public sphere. Now, our country has a very different kind of dynamic about that, but it definitely is a tendon. It was a, it, it has marginalizing effects in some ways. Now you can argue that it may be very well what saves Christianity from a spiritual perspective, but from a, uh, I mean, what we call God and country has nothing very little to do with Christianity. You know, the God that's evoked at inaugurations is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus, but that's a whole other a whole other thing. Well, and it's been interesting. People like uh, from the Southern Baptist Russell Moore, and it, it landed him in some hot water. But you know, he was talking about this this kind of growing uh, anti uh, uh, Islam uh, rhetoric, and and he said, if if you do not support religious freedom for them. Uh, there's no reason that that our freedoms as Christians can be infringed as well. That did not go down very well among I, the I Southern think, Baptists. Yeah, I, I agree. Two of the most antichrist things that you can be about 
is discrimination against other religions and sending away the stranger, the alien, and the immigrant. And discriminating against Billy Joel would be the third in mind. Um, Who who needs the Lord? Who needs the Lord? Um, So it's interesting that, like, that you bring up the Russell Moore thing and the whole Christendom thing. And I think, you know, I think that like the early Christians were not persecuted because they were breaking the law. Uh, They were willing to obey the law. They were persecuted because they wouldn't worship Caesar as God. Mm. And however history would develop in alternative science fiction scenarios, I think that that's the issue. Like, right. Like I, I think the issue is not whether Christians should or shouldn't influence public life, but we go in influencing it saying, Hey, we're law abiding citizens, unless there are laws that are unjust. And like Martin Luther King, you do civil disobedience and and you're willing to do the time, right? You know, for the crime of civil disobedience. But what we can never do on the left or the right is look at uh, a magistrate as the savior. And that is, is healing to the magistrate and to us. Yeah. Like we don't have to expect something of the magistrate that they can't be. And we don't have to be something we can't be. And Jesus can be our Lord uh, in the political realm and above all our savior, which of course, in any political action, we're all left with dirty hands. Yeah. You know, and it's a complicated thing. I mean, there are a variety of sources that uh, the first Christian emperor may have well been a third century emperor, uh, uh, Philip the Arab. Um, there's various uh, things about that. And he was eventually, he, he it was a period. No, why has he got to be the Arab? Why can't he be an Arab? Because he was the only Arab that ended up being the emperor. <laughs> That's his title. At any rate, but um, there is a source that says that he had, uh, there was all kinds of civil war going down on, you know, it's typical, you pillage, pillage a town, you destroy it. But that a bishop made him do penance because of him waging war, and one of the sources says he actually performed it. So I, you know, it's an interesting. Again, I mean, I've, you have to put all kinds of asterisks around that because it's it's not you know it's not a universal, not a lot of sources about it. But I think you know we would love um, a, a lot of a lot of religious people would love a pure church. It doesn't seem to be a particular concern for Jesus. Um, uh, you know, the bride of Christ gets to wear white in the book of Revelation, and we're not wearing white because we earned the white, right. <laughs> okay? <laughs> but because that's what that's what we are granted. And I think, um, you know, I think holy history is full of people doing compromised things in the face of power and trying to survive and keep forward. And many of those highly compromised women, for instance, are part of the genealogy of Jesus. So I, I think— um, I think faith actually works in real time, uh, and a lot of ambiguity um, does not negate uh, a living relationship with God in the time and place you are. And this podcast, the Bulgashichta first edition, might be some tiny stitch at the bottom of the seam of that wedding dress, or at least it's our hope. And bleached. <laughs> <laughs> Very, a, lot, a lot of bleach. Josh, Josh, thank you. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you for your support, your friendship, and for your uh, your great insights tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on.
up with love, but it's so slashed and torn. Wow. 